well. So that's inspirational worship. And today we're taking a look at the concept of inclusion, asking the question, who's in and who's out? And this question lies at the center of our text for today. Again, this is a story in which Jesus finds himself at a party, at a banquet. He's at a feast, and he's observing the actions of the other people. Feasting was a big deal in those days. Dinner tables and the food that they displayed showed a symbol of status for the people who were serving as the hosts. And the guest list was a big deal as well. Everyone who was anyone was at these meals. And they weren't just there. They were seated in order of importance. It was like the ancient Near East version of a middle school lunchroom. You can laugh at that. It's okay. I heard a little snicker. It's okay. It's okay to laugh. It may not have been that funny, but if you found it funny, you can laugh. The question of the day was, who's coming to dinner? Or more to the point, am I invited? And Jesus was there, of course, which seems like an obvious choice for us today, because, of course, we're going to invite Jesus to any meal that we organize. But still, it's something worth noting in our discussion this morning. In this case, Jesus' presence was a source of tension. You see, in the verses leading up for the passage today, Jesus commits a crime. He's on his way to the meal, presumably with other religious leaders who are going to the same place, and they encounter a man who is suffering because his whole body is swollen. So Jesus turns to his companions and he says, Is it lawful, is it legal to heal on the Sabbath? the holiest day of the week. Now, of course, the answer in their minds must have been no, because healing is work, and work is something that's not permitted on the day of rest. But no one says anything to him. So Jesus heals the man and then goes right in to the feast. So you can imagine that it was a little bit awkward. So even before the festivities begin, Jesus is pushing the social envelope, and he doesn't stop with breaking the law. Immediately, he notices that some of the guests are taking the places of honor at the table, the places that are closest to the host. So he jumps right in, and he says, when you're invited, don't take the place of honor. That can be awkward, because the host is going to come to you, possibly, and say, that's not your place, and you'll be demoted, and you'll be uncomfortable, and everyone else will be uncomfortable, and it will just be a big mess. That's my paraphrase. Instead, he wisely advises, take the lowest seat, and then if you are intended to sit closer to the host, you'll be invited to move up, and you will feel honored, and you will look humble in the process. It's a really good piece of social advice that Jesus is doling out here, but I don't think he really cares about the social standing. So what is happening? Why is this important? We get an idea In verse 11, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we know he's not talking about false humility here. He's talking about genuine humility. And that sounds like the Jesus that we know, speaking in riddles, stirring up trouble. 
It sounds a lot like something that we read in Matthew 20 with another parable, another story, this one about a vineyard. And the person who owns the vineyard hires some workers, and they work out the payment in advance. And at the end of the day, he pays them all the same amount, whether they started work before the sun came up, 9 o'clock, noon, 3 p.m. They all get the same amount, not just the same rate, but the same amount of money. And you can imagine the people who have been there all day toiling in the sun, they weren't happy about that. And they said, this isn't fair. And the owner of the vineyard said, didn't you agree to work for this amount? Isn't this my money? Aren't I allowed to do with my money what I feel led to do? To which Jesus adds, as the story ends, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. The last will be first, the first will be last, those who are humbled will be exalted, those who are exalted will be humbled. Jesus speaks like this not to confuse people, but to reveal that he understands human nature. The issue in the story of the workers in the vineyard isn't the money. It's not the vineyard. It's not the grapes. It's not the wine. The issue in the story about the feast is not the party. It's not the table. It's not the food. What's at play here? The issue is not just how we treat people, but how we view them. The issue is the posture of our hearts not just in how we treat people, but in how we view them. Jesus knew, you see, that not only do we keep a running tally of who's in and who's out, our understanding of who's in necessarily begins with ourselves at the center. It has to. It necessarily has to because our perspective begins with what we see with what we experience, with what we feel. And naturally, we are drawn to people who see and experience and feel things the way that we do as well. These are the first people we want to invite into our daily lives and into our big life events because they've been there for us. They know us, and we know them. So it's natural for us to want to include them because we have been included by them, most likely, in some way. And this is the beginning of our understanding of inclusion. Grayson, can we have the first inclusion? Let's go to, I must have the order reversed. Let's go to that one, the passive one. Passive is not a negative term. It just shows that we're talking about inclusion in terms of being included. Someone is on the receiving end. Someone is welcomed. The inclusion extends to that person. But there's also an active side. We have that one as well. This is the very act of making the invitation, of welcoming people, particularly people who are often excluded. There's an active side to inclusion, and that's welcoming people who are often excluded. And so now we're getting radical. Radical is one of those words that has been used in a variety of seasons and a variety of ways. If you participated in any of the social movements in the 1960s, radical probably means one thing to you. 
If not, maybe you can associate with radical in terms of the 1990s and the rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? The, the surfer language, people who are my age are nodding their heads. You, you, we heard that term, radical, in that setting. Well, in the 2000s, radical made a resurgence in the church world as church leaders talked about what it means to be an ordinary radical in our life of faith, or what it means for congregations to offer radical hospitality. So maybe you've read some of those books. Maybe Morningstar went through some of those studies at the time that they were really popular. It's an interesting word, which is why it is used so often to connote change. And we don't like change in general as human beings. We don't like to use that word, so we use other words as we try to get around resisting change and we realize we need some motivation to work toward it. Radical is one of those words that we use. It means to advocate for change in the current culture, to advocate for change in the current culture. So the question in terms of our text for today is what makes inclusion Radical. That's one of the three parts of our vision, one of the three ways that we pursue our mission, radical inclusion. So if inclusion is welcoming people who are otherwise excluded, what takes it one more step out there, one more step further to make it radical? We find the answer in our text for today, and it's this. It's this. Throwing out the guest list. Throwing out the guest list, that's what makes inclusion radical. Now, don't look at me. I didn't come up with this. Jesus said this. In fact, he said this to his host and to his fellow guests at the feast. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, when you give a banquet, do not invite your friends or your siblings or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Instead, invite people who have no money, people who are sick and wounded, people who cannot walk, people who cannot see. This is a radical statement. Can you imagine making a guest list for your wedding or another big life event and putting all the people you know and love on it and then ripping it up and letting it fall to the floor and then opening the doors wide and welcoming everybody in from all walks of life in a way that doesn't just say, come in, but in a way that says, I see you. I acknowledge that you've been judged and ridiculed and ignored. I acknowledge your suffering, and I celebrate who you are in this moment. That's radical. And this is the vision of the kingdom of God that Jesus calls all of us to live into. It's the vision that Jesus casts for those who will listen. And his talk about being repaid for our hospitality, either in heaven or on earth, is not an invitation to think about our own status here or in eternity. It's an invitation to get humble, because that's where inclusion starts. Humility. Jesus said it this way, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, Those who humble themselves will be exalted. We have one more slide for humility, I believe, Grayson. Humility is, of course, a modest view of one's own importance. And we're not talking about putting ourselves down here. We're talking about recognizing that no human being is more important than we are. 
that we are not more important than anyone else, that we need to be included as much as others need to be included by us, and the really good news is that we've all already been included by our God. But wait, didn't Jesus say to uninvite our friends and family? Well, technically what he said is not to invite them in the first place. But here's my take on that. Our friends and our family are going to show up anyway because they know that they belong. They know they have a place at our table. There is nothing radical about inviting people who already know that they belong. But it's still a good and fun and important thing to do. But it will not change the world, most likely. But inviting someone who would never expect to be on the guest list actually can change the world. One relationship at a time, if that invitation comes from a place of humility on the part of the person who is making it. So thank goodness humility is like any other spiritual practice. It's something that can be cultivated in us as God's grace continues to work. True humility is cultivated in us when we remind ourselves and when we learn to see every person as an ordinary person who is special in the eyes of God. When we view every person we meet as an ordinary person, just like us, who is special in the eyes of God, we grow in humility. And it's a beautiful way to point to the grace of God. So think about those moments where you were thinking, is there a place for me? I am not exaggerating when I tell you that's exactly what I was thinking at that rehearsal dinner. I was standing in the middle of the room, watching all of this activity, looking at the exit, thinking, is there a way that I could make it to that door without anybody seeing me? Because I don't think I belong here. And at that time, I felt an arm on my shoulder. In that very moment, I felt an arm on my shoulder, and it belonged to the sister of the bride. And she said, Amy, we've been looking for you. Come with me, you're with us. And she took me by the hand and led me to the front of the room where there was a table that had an open chair with my name on a place card with the siblings of the bride and the groom. There was a place for me. And I realized in hindsight that I always belonged to that party. I belonged there in the eyes of the hosts. And what made my invitation genuine was that they communicated that to me. Inclusion works both ways, remember. It's an action on the part of the host for sure, but it only really begins to make a difference in a relationship and in a community when that inclusion is truly felt by the person who has been invited. The words and the actions of the bride's sister in my story demonstrate this perfectly. First of all, she said my name. She knew who I was. I wasn't just an individual in the crowd. I wasn't just a face. She knew me. She was looking for me. That's the second part. She didn't just leave the seat open at her table. She realized I wasn't in it. And she stopped her enjoyment of the celebration to find me. And the third part, she walked me to my seat. She sat with me. She talked with me. She engaged me in conversation. She asked me questions. She said my name. She looked for me. And she walked with me. She talked with me. Beloved, these are critical components. 
for true inclusion. This is not just about the invitation. That is only the beginning. It's about the follow-through. It's about the commitment not just to say welcome to people who have unfamiliar faces, but to get to know them, to learn their names, to let them know that there is a place for them at the table, and we are going to notice if they are not in it, and that we'll be willing to look for them and bring them back to the table, or move the table to where they are if that's what needs to happen, or sit on the floor with them if that's what they need. Whatever it takes to help them answer the question, is there really a place for me here with a yes? Absolutely. And there always has been. This kind of inclusion is the call of God's people until it becomes so commonplace that it's not radical anymore. And it begins with some questions. So we have some questions to share, Grayson, if you can throw those up there for me. Who is on my guest list? But just as importantly, who's not? And why not? This is our invitation for the week. You knew it was coming. I make an invitation every week. This is our practice for our community of faith to ask ourselves, who's on my guest list? Literally and figuratively. Who's not? And why not? Now, fair warning, answering these questions honestly requires a willingness to be convicted by God about our own understanding of who's in and who's out. And it's from that place of humility that we will be reminded, we will rediscover that when it comes to God, everyone is already in. It's just our job to make sure they know that. Amen? Amen.